Well, boys, grab your BAR and get the keys to that 1934 Ford Deluxe V8, because on today's episode of History Time, we're going after Bonnie and Clyde. All right, before we jump into today's episode of History Time, I sound like I've been smoking cigarettes for 40 years because I'm getting over some sort of, I don't know, weird nastiness uh, that my two-year-old gave me. You will have an immune system right up until you put a toddler into daycare. For those of you that are not there yet, you have been warned. Uh, so I do uh, I do apologize if I have to clear my throat uh, or, uh, or, or cough or something along those lines. I'm coming out of it, uh, but there's a reason I'm I'm uh, going to be working on a few more solo episodes before I start having more people uh, come into the studio. So um, uh, one more thing to, to touch on before I jump into this episode. I have over on Instagram, I have started uh, the hashtag good cops giveaway. Now, the whole point of the giveaway, um, basically, uh, when I went to the academy in November of 2017, that was the first time that I ever became aware that some cops aren't issued things like, I don't know, uh, handguns or handcuffs or their own uniforms. Uh, there are uh, cops all over the country uh, who usually work for uh, smaller agencies, uh, agencies that, that don't have a whole lot of money. Uh, you know, their, their city councils or their uh, county, county board of supervisors. Uh, that the, the policing is not high on the financial priority list. And so uh, these officers are are forced to uh, purchase their own stuff, which leaves them next to no money for uh, ancillary items like IFAX or uh, tourniquets or flashlights or you know really good boots. They're they're going to buy the the Walmart specials for thirty four bucks because uh, that's all they can afford after they've gone out and bought a Glock seventeen. Uh, the you know the the weapon light for it, additional magazines. Uh, they're their holsters. Um, they just simply, you know, they still got to eat. They still got to pay the car payment and the mortgage uh, and all that good stuff. So if you head on over to Instagram, the, uh, the good cops giveaway, uh, right now until November 16th, I'm just working on getting items in, uh, and getting companies, uh, organizations and people to donate to the giveaway. Uh, and then on November, uh, 16th, I'll start the nomination process. Basically head on over to Instagram. Uh, I will have a post at that time, uh, for you to go ahead and nominate, uh, uh, you can nominate yourself or you can nominate uh, another officer, no limit on the nominations, uh, of, of, uh, people. You can only nominate a person once. Um, but if you've got, uh, you know, an agency of six or seven people that you know about and you want to nominate all six or seven people, that's totally fine too. I'm still looking for a few other, uh, organizations. I'd like to get uh, plate carrier, uh, and plates and, uh, maybe a helmet, uh, for somebody as well, a, uh, a ballistic helmet. Uh, but right now we've got a ton of great products coming in from um, uh, my buddy uh, Andrew over at Austere Tac Med. We've got uh, V Development Group uh, sending a ratchet, a ratchet medical tourniquet. Um, we've got uh, uh, some stuff from Tac Mobility and Dark Horse Lionheart uh, and a number of other companies. Uh, Tactical Considerations over on YouTube. Uh, Mike, he's come through with uh, some tourniquets, uh, Safari Land Holster, 
and just a, a lot of uh, a lot of other good shit, a streamlight flashlight. So if, if you or anybody you know has any contacts over at any companies uh, or you yourself would like to donate, send me an email, bluelinemillennial at gmail.com or hit me up over on Instagram and uh, and we'll get you uh, we'll get you started and we'll uh, we'll get all the stuff in the the nominees. Uh, the winners will be announced uh, December 1st. So I'm basically giving from November 16th to November 30th, uh, for the nominations to come in. And then on December 1st, uh, I will announce the three winners. There will be a, uh, a primary winner and then a first runner up and a second runner up. Uh, but all three are going to be getting some good things. And, oh yeah, uh, William with Sleeker Tactical, local Arizona, uh, uh, gun store is, uh, uh, putting up a Glock 43, for the nominations, uh, that'll be for the primary nominee. Uh, you'll you'll be getting a Glock out of the deal, so uh, definitely get on over to Instagram and follow along with that. And there's also uh, some more details available at Blue Line Millennial at uh, or not not my email address on the Blue Line Millennial website, bluelinemillennial.com. Uh, but enough about that. Let's go ahead and jump in. So I, I wanted to talk about Frank Hamer and Manny Galt. Um, I had known sort of the story of Bonnie and Clyde, but but certainly not to any sort of great extent. And then uh, I think last year, uh, the movie The Highwayman came out uh, with uh, Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. Uh, and I thought it was a great film. Uh, but I wanted to learn more about who these two, you know, famous Texas lawmen, these Texas Rangers uh, were. And come to find out, the movie um, gives the impression that Frank and, uh, and Manny started the hunt for Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, you know, like Frank got brought in, uh, and then he immediately went and grabbed his buddy, Manny Galt. And then they went off gallivanted across the the Midwest, uh, and, and a little bit of the South to find, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. It's actually not how it went down. Manny didn't come in until, um, much later on in the process. Um, but all the same, uh, diving into, uh, to a little bit of this, of uh, story time, uh, about Frank Hamer, uh, primarily about Frank and a little bit about Manny. Uh, Frank was born in 1884 in Texas, and he was one of five sons who would go on to become Texas Rangers. Now, now Frank didn't set out. It wasn't his youthful goal uh, to be a Texas Ranger. Uh, he actually was working as a uh, as like a ranch hand, uh, and in 1905, captured a horse thief, and the local sheriff was so impressed with him that. He, uh, he recommended Frank for the Texas Rangers, uh, and Frank ultimately in 1906 did go ahead and sign up. Uh, he only stayed with the Rangers until about 1908. Uh, he became a town marshal uh, of a small town in Texas uh, 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 called uh, Nova Soda, which was like this violent, uh, like boom town, like oil town in Texas. Um, over the course of two years in Nova Soda, Texas, a hundred people uh, were killed in shootouts. Um, of course, Frank Hamer comes in at the ripe old age of 24 and uh, and starts cracking skulls and uh, and cashing checks and and Nova Soda ended up becoming a little bit of a, a safer place to live. Uh, shortly after that, in 1911, he moved off to Houston and worked as a uh, special investigator for the local sheriff's office. And then he ended up moving to another agency. This entire story about Frank is just him bouncing from agency to agency. Uh, in 1914, he became a Kimball County Sheriff's deputy, um, and then. Uh, uh, returned more or less to his roots, working as a, a livestock theft investigator. How do you get that detective position? Somebody somebody message me and let me know where you can go be a livestock theft investigator. I'm like, oh, you uh, you working today, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got, got a lot to work today. You know the theft's going on. Oh, catalytic converter thefts? No, 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 horses. 
Oh, well, all right then. Uh, in 1915, uh, Frank returned uh, to the Texas Rangers in South Texas. And this is where, uh, so I have seen uh, articles online accusing the highwaymen of, uh, of whitewashing Frank Hamer's history. Um, and I don't know that it's an out and out whitewash so much as it is uh, the movie focuses and uh, and Hollywood's a little bit of Frank's story. Um, but a lot of stuff about Frank isn't necessarily widely known. I mean, you can get a lot of the information about him just on the Internet. Um, but uh, he ended up going down into South Texas uh, during the Bandit Wars and uh, La Matanza, or the Massacre. And that was uh, from 1915 to 1920, where... Uh, Texans, uh, Texas Rangers, uh, fought Mexican bandits coming north across the border. And uh, uh, you want to talk about excessive force. Uh, many times the Rangers would capture these bandits, um, kind of hold court right there in the middle of a field, and then just hang them. No due process, nothing. Um, the uh, the Mexican-Americans who were citizens of the United States that were living in South Texas at the time were uh, often targeted by uh, Anglos within Texas. Um, and uh, it, it just ended up being a pretty dark time. It was called the, uh, the Hora de Sangre, or the, uh, the Hour of Blood. I, I took German in high school, not Spanish, so bear with me on that one. Um, I thought I was going to be going around to uh, World War II battle sites and uh, digging up and being like an Indiana Jones archaeologist. Uh, but no, here I am, a humble podcast host. Um, ultimately, uh, during during that hour of blood, that, that five-year period, uh, thousands of, of uh, Mexican nationals and Mexican-Americans uh, were killed by Americans and, uh, and prominently by the Texas Rangers. Um, Hamer ended up leaving the Rangers uh, in 1917, though. He, he did not uh, stick around for the entirety of uh, La Matanza or the, uh, the Bandit Wars there. So he ended up, after he left, um, uh, kind of moving on a little bit with his life. But it, Frank Hamer's life is a series of fucking rabbit holes. He marries this lady named Gladys Sims. Now, Gladys uh, was a widow because she allegedly murdered her other husband. Now, she was never found guilty of that, um, uh, of killing old Ed Sims. Um, but uh, I I have to imagine that would send up a few red flags. Like, can you imagine seeing that on somebody's uh, Tinder account right now? Like, oh, yeah, I'm widowed. Um, but uh, if you Google me, I, I was uh, uh, acquitted in my husband's murder. Um, in fact, I, I don't think it was ever solved. Okay, then, Black Widow. Um and it just gets gets better. Uh, uh, Gladys and Hamer uh, were were out getting gas um, at a, a small gas station, and Gladys's dead husband's brother-in-law, Gus McMean, comes rolling on up, decides to get into an argument because you know he's a little angry about the death of his brother-in-law. Uh, oh, and by the way, he himself was also a former Texas Ranger and an elected sheriff. And uh, well, in true Frank Hamer style. What happens? An argument turns into a gunfight because that's uh, what happened if you hung out with Frank Hamer in the uh, the early 1900s. Um, Frank was mortally, well, not mortally wounded, I shouldn't say that. Frank was seriously wounded 
but he got the final shot off, uh, so to speak, and struck Gus in the heart and uh, and killed him. Frank was never charged with any sort of crime, um, and Gladys was again acquitted for her involvement in the death of Gus McMean. Uh, that's some Hillary Clinton shit right there. That's just that's just fucking wild. Uh, Frank ended up recovering from his wound and uh, and joined the Prohibition Unit. Uh, he only served in the Prohibition Unit, uh, you know, the good old Volstead Act. Um, I have a picture of some cops uh, in, in my studio here uh, during the Prohibition era, and they're all standing around a bar with just dozens of bottles of alcohol around them because... That was the thing about the Volstead Act. It was like, hey, it was like Fight Club. We're not going to talk about it, right? Like, oh, yes, I go out and I uh, uh, take uh, pickaxes to these barrels of bourbon uh, and uh, and I smash beer bottles on the ground, but not before I take some for myself. Anyways, I don't know that Frank ever did that. Um, but uh, what I do know is that during his one year with the Prohibition unit, he got into even more gunfights. Um, the man was good at getting into gunfights. Uh, and... Uh, there was some additional negativity, though. In 1918, uh, there was a Texas state representative who launched an investigation into the Texas Rangers uh, who was uh, uh, threatened with physical violence. And uh, who who do we think threatened him with physical violence for investigating the Rangers? Uh, Frank Hamer. If you guessed Frank Hamer, you are correct. Give yourself a pat on the back and a crisp high five. One of the uh, guys charged with the safety of this state representative ended up being President Lyndon Johnson's father. That is not the last time that Frank Hamer is going to be involved with the Johnson administration. Like I said, it's a series of rabbit warrens and rabbit holes. You know, it, it's insane looking in, into this guy's life. Um, um, in, in 1922, um, Frank did do something that I think we can all agree on was was pretty cool. Uh, Frank decided to say fuck you to the Ku Klux Klan, Ku Klux Klan, uh, and uh, decided as the senior captain of the Texas Rangers, uh, the the Rangers were going to devote their resources to going after the KKK because they're fucking assholes. Uh, Hamer himself decided to personally lynch 15 members of the KKK, which is a form of justice to the reporter at the Marshall Project who's probably looking for things uh, that I say on this broadcast to uh, use against me somewhere, I'd like to see you defend the KKK. I don't think that you will. Because, uh, again, they're racist assholes. And they probably deserved everything that Frank gave them. More gunfights. Gunfights for everybody. He's the Oprah of gunfights. You get a gunfight, and you get a gunfight. Uh, in 1928, uh, Frank again sort of... Uh, uh, I don't know, came to the rescue? As a, uh, however, here, here's what happened. The Texas Banking Association, or the Texas Bankers Association, began to offer rewards for dead bank robbers. All right. Bank robbery is a big issue in the 1920s and the 1930s. I got to imagine some people are getting pretty pissed off about it. Okay. However, uh, they do have a little caveat on their little reward posters. They will not pay you one penny for a living bank robber. Here's the issue. If they're dead, they can't defend themselves. So if you go out and shoot six people and say, oh, yeah, they were all planning to rob your bank, uh, the dead guy can't tell you, no, I wasn't going to rob him, rob his bank. I'm his neighbor and my tree's growing into his yard or something like that. Here's the issue with that. It, it exists even still to this day. You go into like 
uh, the uh, earlier years of the, uh, the the war in Iraq and uh, and Afghanistan, and we were giving suitcases of money to people. I say we, I wasn't there. Uh, we, the United States, were giving suitcases of money to locals to show us, hey, here's a strobe light, put it on the roof of the insurgents and we'll pay you $20,000. Which is all good and well and fine, except people really want $20,000 and that dude over there owes them money. So they're like, fuck that guy. Yeah, I'm going to say he's an insurgent and pop this strobe on his roof and then watch the JDAMs fly in and, uh, and uh, blow his house to smithereens. So generally, uh, not the best way to go about solving your problems. Uh, and Frank ended up writing, writing a, a, a long-winded expose on, on the hazards and, and sort of the uh, poor morals and ethics of the Texas Bankers Association. And there was a public outcry. However, uh, multiple people were still murdered, uh, many of them actual bounties, actual, actual bank robbers uh, in exchange for this. $5,000 uh, reward that they were uh, offering to people. Um, and that was $5,000 in, in 1928 money, which I have to imagine uh, somewhere in my notes, I do have a, uh, a like a inflation uh, chart, uh, but $5,000 in 1928 had to have been some in the neighborhood of like 30 or $40,000 today, just an insane amount of cash. Uh, in 1930, um, Frank Hamer and, and the Texas Rangers, uh, again, you know, kind of, kind of where the infamy comes in. They're tasked with uh, securing a trial of a black man accused of rape. Uh, a, a lynch mob shows up, torches the courthouse. Uh, Frank and his Rangers flee the area, and in the process, uh, they leave uh, George Hughes, the accused, uh, behind. Uh, George lost his life. He was killed. Uh, whether he was killed in the fire or killed after the fact is uh, a topic of debate. Um, the lynch mob did take his body and uh, and hang it nearby. Um, so essentially, Frank and, and his guys abandoned their post and abandoned their the person they were charged with protecting um, and, and just left left town. I mean, nothing but a but a trail of dust, uh, and, uh, and the guy ultimately, uh, was killed. Um, in 1932, when, uh, Miriam Ferguson, Ma Ferguson was elected the governor of Texas, uh, only after her husband, Pa Ferguson was, uh, impeached, which again is a little suspicious. Uh, Ma Ferguson, a lot of Texas Rangers didn't like her for one reason or another, uh, including Frank uh, and Manny Galton. They ended up all, you know, many, many, many Texas Rangers ended up calling it quits, moving on to, to other agencies or just outright retiring uh, so that they didn't have to work for uh, Governor Ferguson. Um, so when, when does Bonnie and Clyde, when do Bonnie and Clyde come in? Well, on January 16th, 1934, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, along with a couple of other associates, uh, stage a prison break and raid the East End prison uh, and and free several inmates, one of whom wasn't even their target. They only wanted to free like two inmates. And then this third dude shows up and like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, uh, in the process, though, two prison guards are shot. One of them is killed. Uh, the prison administrator, Lee Simmons, uh, is in, in sort of the, his, his last uh, moments with the, uh, one of the dying prison guards, he promises this guard um, that his killers are going to be sent to the electric chair. Uh, Lee Simmons 
then makes it his life's goal to bring Frank fucking Hamer uh, out of retirement to uh, to go and chase after Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, so Frank was was offered uh, a position with the Texas Highway Patrol and uh, seconded to that as a special investigator for like the Texas Bureau of Prisons. And he was offered 180 bucks a month, which he said was basically dog shit. That was nothing to him because he was making uh, like twice that, you know, doing some of his other like private gigs. Uh, 180 bucks a month in 1930 money is like $3,600 a month today, um, which I would say is like comparable to a patrol officer in some areas. Uh, but I have to imagine if you're Frank Hamer, you're used to making probably three or four times that amount. Um but uh, old Lee Simmons said, hey, not only will I pay you 180 bucks a month, but you can uh, get a portion of the reward money for Bonnie and Clyde. And oh, yeah, uh, I don't care what you do to them, but you can keep their shit. Whatever they have, whatever you want, uh, it, it's yours. It doesn't need to come back. It doesn't need to be logged in as evidence. You can keep it. Um, and more on that uh, later. So uh, Bonnie and Clyde had a certain level of dare I say, public affection. Um, it was infamy, it was notoriety, but they had they had like their fan club and their groupies in certain areas type of thing. That was up until uh, two Texas Highway Patrolmen uh, were were shot and killed in the line of duty near the town of Grapevine. And the movie does, does show this a little bit. Um, basically, Bonnie's drunk as shit uh, and ends up emptying her entire gun into one of these patrol officers uh, laughing um, and supposedly laughing and commenting about how the patrol officer's head bounced off the ground every time she pulled the trigger. Um, super fucked up. As a police officer now, I would be angry if I ever heard shit like that come out, and I would probably move heaven and fucking earth, um, especially if it was one of my guys. Got to remember at this time, Frank is a Texas Highway Patrol officer. $500 reward, uh, which translates into about $10,000 reward money uh, today is offered just for Bonnie Parker. That's not even for Clyde Barrow. Um, ultimately, down the line, a few bank robberies. Uh, one of the gang members, and again, it's, it's demonstrated in the movie, uh, one of the gang members' families um, ends up speaking with uh, a sheriff in Louisiana um, regarding their son's involvement with the, uh, with the Barrow gang. Um, and Hamer goes and, and puts a posse together. This is when Manny Galt comes into play. Hamer goes and gets his old buddy, Manny, uh, who was himself a, uh, a Texas Ranger, you know, tried and true, dependable. Uh, he knew that, that Manny was going to get shit done, uh, you know, and, and that he was going to be there, um, you know, when, when it was time for the rubber to meet the road. Um, and, and that's exactly what happened on, uh, on May 23rd, 1934, uh, a posse of about six, uh, six law enforcement officers from all sorts of different agencies. You've got Frank and Manny. Uh, you've got a couple sheriff's deputies. Um, uh, they end up confronting Bonnie and Clyde, who are in their uh, Ford Deluxe V8 uh, out on a little back road near Gibsland, Louisiana. Now, accounts differ. Uh, many different members of the posse say, uh, no, I called out to him. No, I called out to him. Basically, the whole, hey, surrender, we're going to shoot. Supposedly, one of the posse members said something to that effect. Um, and then the accounts differ. Uh, Bonnie or Clyde or both of them 
reached for a gun or Bonnie reached for a gun as Clyde tried to drive away. Uh, I believe the FBI report says that Bonnie and Clyde attempted to flee, and that's why they ultimately were shot. Um, 162 rounds, by last count, were fired. Uh, the first shot, 9.15 in the morning, uh, thereabouts, Deputy Prentice Oakley uh, fires uh, his Remington Model 8, which uh, Hamer also had a, a 32, I believe a 32 or a 38 caliber Remington Model 8. Uh, Deputy Prentice is shot, uh, supposedly strikes Clyde Barrow in the head and kills him instantly. But that doesn't stop all six posse members from dumping every last round they've got into this Ford V8 and into Bonnie and into Clyde. Uh, later on, Frank Hamer would uh, remark that, that he often felt sick at killing a woman who was uh, seated. Um, in, his, in his mind, I think by him saying that, it, it almost sounds like, you know, somebody's sitting down, it's, it's maybe not a fair fight. But he would remember that Bonnie was involved in the death of nine police officers. And, and that would basically be enough for him to just move on from it. Um, and so uh, that, was, uh, that was the end of Bonnie and, uh, and Clyde. Um, as far as the reward money goes, about $26,000 had been offered by multiple donors. That's, that's around about $500,000 in 2021. Well, a lot of those people decided, you know what? They're dead now. I don't know anybody. Shit, I'm not paying anything. And so as opposed to the uh, about $4,000 um, that each posse member would have gotten, um, which would have been $80,000, your reward money for taking part in the killing of Bonnie and Clyde, $80,000 uh, in today's money. What ultimately happened? Hey, here's $200 and three cents. Just translates into about four grand. So you get four grand, $76,000. Just just put yourself in this position today, 2021, uh, October 2021. You're supposed to get $80,000 for doing something. You are then paid $76,000 less than you were promised. Well, I'd be pretty angry. Hamer decided, fuck it, I'm just going to keep all their guns. Bonnie and Clyde had a shitload of firearms, BARs, shotguns, uh, handguns, all sorts of stuff. Those were all Frank's guns now, and I can't really blame him. Um, he ended up ultimately uh, uh, kind of going in and out of law enforcement back into the private contracting, private security type of business. Uh, he worked for various oil and shipping companies as a, uh, a strike breaker. Uh, and in 1939, this is, <laughs> I, I did not know this. In 1939, a grand total of 50 retired Texas Rangers, Frank Hamer among them. Well, they see what's happening over in Europe. And they can't abide by that. So Frank and 49 Texas Rangers write a letter to King George VI. Say, hey, sir, we'd like to come and protect Britain from the Nazis. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute. You have 50 old retired cops are going to stop the entire Wehrmacht in its tracks from invading Britain. Let's go put Dog the Bounty Hunter over somewhere, you know, hey, if Russia's going to invade, Dog's the one who's going to stop him. That's kind of the uh, 
the thought that I had of just seeing these 50 cowboys with their Remington Model 8s and their their revolvers. Maybe they would have moved to a 1911 by then. I'm not too sure. Uh, just standing on the shores of the White Cliffs of Dover and, and just being like, yeah, we're going to fuck shit up. Maybe it would have worked. I don't know. Ultimately, the Nazis never did invade Great Britain. Um, more on that uh, later or if I ever started another podcast uh, where we discuss that type of thing. Um, but I did think that it was quite hilarious that uh, uh, these these 50 dudes were like, yep, we're going to go to England and uh, and we're going to fight for the crown. And you know what? Good on them. Like the thought of it is funny to, to just picture them like standing there, uh, you know, in front of Buckingham Palace. Um, but truly the fact that you're willing after, you know, 30, 30 ish years of service to, to your country, uh, or your community or, well, your state, I guess. Um, but 30 years ish of service and, uh, you're still willing to, to dust off your boots and go to bat, uh, in world war two. So, you know what? Good, good on them for even being willing to, to, to go and do that. Uh, he did finally retire though. Old Frank finally retired in 1949. Uh, now in 1953, uh, he ended up, suffering a heat stroke. Um, and, uh, he did, he survived, but he never really recovered. And he ended up passing away in his sleep in 1955. Uh, but I did tell you earlier that, uh, uh, Frank had gone after, gone after that Texas state representative for investigating the Rangers. And one of the guys charged with protecting that representative was former president Lyndon Johnson's father. Well, Frank's last law enforcement act, or at least nearly his last law enforcement act, uh, was to uh, escort somebody uh, into a town uh, where uh, Lyndon Johnson, uh, basically there had been an accusation of uh, voter fraud. And it wasn't safe for this investigator to uh, to go into this town. And so old fucking Frank Hamer dusted his boots off, grabbed his gun and walked this dude, you know, into the office where he needed to go and, and do his work. So I did think that was one of those interesting little ironies that that Frank Hamer you know, not once, but twice, uh, ran into, uh, the Johnson administration in one, uh, you know, one aspect or another. Um, and that, uh, that's really the story of Frank Hamer, the Oprah of gunfights, the man responsible, partially responsible at least for, uh, for killing Bonnie and Clyde after their, uh, spree of robberies and murders. Um, I don't know, looking back, I don't know why Bonnie and Clyde had the, following that they did. Um, but it does, it does go to show you and go to remind you, uh, when I was doing the research for this episode, I thought that Manny Galt was going to be way more involved, uh, than he was. And honestly, I kind of liked the movie version, uh, a little bit more than maybe real life. I liked the, the, the thought of, I won't give everything away. Well, you know, the fucking story of Bonnie and Clyde, I just told you. Um, but, uh, you know, I like the idea of, of Frank getting tasked to, you know, Hey, you're a Texas peace officer, but I'm giving you carte blanche to go across state lines. Here's money. Go and buy whatever guns you need and uh, go find a friend and go get these assholes. And that's that's what he does in the movie. And that's kind of sort of what he did in real life, but just, you know, not in the same uh, not in the same order. Uh, but definitely, if you have not seen The Highwaymen, um, I can't remember, Netflix or uh, Amazon, one, you know, somewhere around there, you'll find it. Uh, definitely still recommend that you watch it, even if it's not entirely accurate, which big surprise, Hollywood movies are never entirely accurate. Um, 
definitely on my my recommended list of films for you to watch. Uh, let me know uh, what else you would like for me to discuss on Storytime. Uh, I've had a couple people tell me, you know what, I actually do like your short little stories. You know, quick 30-minute drive somewhere, uh, or I'm out, you know, and doing yard work or what have you, and I, I get a little bit of an education out of it. So I'm going to keep doing them until every single one of you tells me to stop. A uh, couple more people I'd like to uh, highlight, well, at least one, Melvin, per- uh, Melvin Purvis, who uh, was responsible for uh, going after John Dillinger and uh, Babyface Nelson and Pretty Boy Floyd, uh, you know, the, those, those high-level uh, gangsters um, back in, in the 1930s there. Uh, we will talk about Melvin on, uh, on the next episode of uh, History Time, but uh, do let me know, please. Go ahead over to Instagram uh, uh, and let me know who else you want to hear about in terms of uh, the history of law enforcement. Uh, we will also be covering... Uh, the famed London Metropolitan Police Department and uh, how they begin humbly with the Bow Street Runners and their uh, rattles and sticks uh, <laughs> and, and their uh, definitively English way of policing. Uh, but until next time, thank you all so very much for listening. This has been another episode of History Time uh, on Blue Line Millennial Podcast. Stay safe and I'll see you on the road. I had done patrol for years. I worked in busy places, so it wasn't it wasn't like a slow thing. So I had a lot of experience. Did the FTO thing, um, I, and I was really focused on for a couple of years on interdiction. Hence the reason I know all about your dad's activities in the past. <laughs> but Mike's the, actually uh, had to go to court over all this before. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a, this is a court mandated appearance on the podcast. Actually, as, as part of uh, the whole thing, how it shook out. Um, and so for me, I had this opportunity where I, I didn't get that position. And what I was looking at was at least another four years to five years before any new opportunities were going to open up at the department. And I was like, okay, I'm sick of what I'm doing now. Not, not, the, not the concept of policing, but just I needed a change. I needed a new challenge. And I felt like I was kind of dead-ended where I was at. And I had this opportunity, you know, to take this other job. And while I was doing that, to continue to grow maybe my social media presence and see where that would lead me. And I just felt like I, I felt at that point, I have nothing to lose, right? Like if I go down this direction, work for a year, make more money than I would have made for this year as a cop. Mm-hmm. The worst thing that happens is I make more money this year, realize I'm not going any direction with this and I'll, I'll come back, you know? So it was a really unique opportunity for me that I'm grateful for. And I just took the chance to, to go that way. And then I just didn't look back, you know, things developed and moved and, uh, and then on and on I went and I, I had switched to a part-time position, um, at a different department, you know, that there's a lot of places around Metro Detroit that have part-time gigs. And, um, so I was doing that, you know, midnights on the weekends and all this stuff. And after a while of that, I'm like, uh, I was already starting to feel like, what am I doing? You know, get, I, I went this direction to get some of my own life back and control back. And here I am still exhausted on Monday like a zombie because I worked midnights this weekend. Yeah, what you were weekend what, graves like a new what, guy. What am I doing, you know? And then it was actually the Garrett Rolfe situation, the Rayshard Brooks shooting in Atlanta. And I saw what the prosecutors did to 
that officer and railroaded him uh, immediately. His department threw him under the bus. Uh, the prosecutors threw him under the bus and Detroit prosecutors and Atlanta prosecutors, it's like they, you know, they would be great bedfellows, you know, very similar. They're looking to string up any cop that does anything that they can fire them for or make an example of them for. And I'm just like, what am I doing every weekend? Like I've worked so hard at taking this opportunity that came to me and building something for my family long-term. And what am I, why am I out here on the weekends doing this? and putting all of that at risk for doing my job. So I'm one traffic stop away, I'm one phone call away from doing what I should do and being you know, strung up for it. And it's not gonna be me that suffers as much because I can make it in prison, but it's gonna be my family you know, like that has to go through that. And they, they spent a decade supporting my law enforcement career and now I'm asking them to do that and, and give up all that I worked for when I left. It just didn't make any sense anymore. And then, you know, when I came into work one day and sergeant's like, you need to go to these businesses and um, tell them that they can't have people in there because of COVID. I was like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Let's so, talk about all the things Mike's not going to do. So I was like, yeah. Um, and I, I remember it was, it was, I think it was July 2nd and I was supposed to work July 4th. And I, I, I just, I woke up I'm like, no, I'm done. Called, called into the department. I was like, hey, is uh, sergeant so-and-so there? Yeah, all right, I'm coming to turn my shit in. And the, the chief calls me. He's like, you're supposed to work July 4th. Like, Not anymore. <laughs> so I was like, I was done, and, and I haven't looked back. I haven't, I, honestly, I haven't missed it. Um, I, you know, I've made the right decision for me. But I, because I feel like we're still doing stuff like giving back to law enforcement. I, I still making the content that I hope, you know, encourages cops that are, that are doing the job and educating non-cops still and try to be as much of a voice as I possibly can be in support of law enforcement, but definitely the right, right time for me to move on. Well, and, and you answered my other question, which was going to be, was there for either of you, has there been a moment where you've looked back and gone, God damn, I missed the job. Or has it been, you know what? Like I appreciated the time that I had, but I'm, I'm glad that I'm free of it. I've, n I've never missed it. Not, not once. I, the only thing I would say that I've missed has been some level of when you, you guys will both relate to this and a lot of, of listeners will relate to this is like when you get that shift, it's like, it's like you and a half dozen of your buddies are out there catching bad guys and your boss loves you and your, you know, your road boss loves you. The lieutenants are approving your reports. You're locking people up and you're having lunch together and high fiving and you're hanging out after work or, you, you know, like you get in that groove for a while on that shift and it's like, this is, this is fucking cool, man. I'm catching bad guys with my friends. That's really awesome. You know, and then you don't always have those shifts that are like right. that, you know, those, those, those platoons or however you guys would phrase it. You don't always have that. And, uh, so knowing you would have that every day, it then never felt like you were like working, you know, like you're just doing what you love with the people that you like to hang out with. And, uh, but I look at it like this. I'm like the people that matter to me that still care about me as a person and not my identity as a cop, I still can hang out with them. I still can go get drinks with them. It's not exactly the same, but I think a lot of, I don't know how much we'll get into what I'm doing now, but a lot of what we're doing now in like our real estate stuff with cops that are transitioning out is like recreating a little bit of that vibe, right? you know, of doing something together that is meaningful to you and you kind of get each other. Well, and, and, and let's just go with it then. We'll come back to the social media stuff, um, but let's talk about the 107 project and, and what that's done for, for the two of you and for, I mean... I don't even, you guys probably know, but how many, however many 
cops and firefighters? Like where, where did it all start from? Well, um, Mike and I, you know, both got into real estate and we were having success with it um, pretty early on. And we kind of, you know, we were just kind of sitting around talking about it. And it, it, we realized that the skills that we developed over years and years and years of working in law enforcement really, really served us well in real estate. And then like all the shit's going on in the world. Cops are like the butt of every joke. They're, you know, being shit on left and right. And we're sitting there like drinking bourbon one day and we're like, what if we what if we just started teaching cops how to sell real estate so they could say fuck you to all these people? And then it was like, let's see what happens. And then we, so we brainstormed it for a while. It, it actually probably ended up being more like a year worth of brainstorming it. And then we finally uh, put it together and we walk out and we're like, all right, we're going to post one time about this and we'll probably get 15, 20 people interested in it and we'll start talking to them about it. And Mike posted on, uh, Mike the cop, I posted on Survive the Streets. And within 24 hours, we had 4,200 emails. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and it was like, okay, um, fuck. What do, what do we do now? <laughs> I don't even know how to begin. You just get terrified, put the phone down as you shake and hand picks up another glass of bourbon. Yeah, like, we'll yeah. come back to this in the morning. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's exactly how it went. And then, uh, you know, so we spent the next six months playing catch up, like, because we had to build out systems and processes and tools and train people and do all kinds of stuff to just be able to support all these people who were wanting help. And we were building, you know, inroads and relationships with people in the real estate industry, like, you know, um, like just schools to, to give them the pre-licensed education and all that. So we had to build all those relationships from the ground up. And, you know, we've, we've got them in place now and it's everything's rocking and rolling pretty smooth. But it was it was a pretty wild process from the beginning. Yeah. And are you guys represented? I know you've got Mike, Michigan. Chris here in Arizona, are you guys represented in all 50 states or, or not quite yet or getting there? I don't think all 50, but a yeah. good, good freaking number of them. It, yeah. it, I would say at least 35 or 40. Yeah, that's a good yeah. number of people. And how long has it been going on now? Just I mean, over a year. Officially, yeah, a little over a year. A little over we a year. lost it at the end of August. So Okay. And you just, uh, before you guys came over to uh, to my humble abode, uh, you guys had a 10-7 uh, had a project event or is that later on is that what you're going to next no we had uh, yeah we we had what we call the tactical agent boot camp so we've developed uh, you know as a spinoff from this we've built an entire coaching program for real estate agents that we call the tactical agent system and because we've you know put that together uh, we hosted an event for real estate agents and then you know a lot of people that are in our 10-7 project came and then there's a couple people that you know, are, are interested that are cops that were like, I want to check this out and just kind of see what these guys have to say. So we had, you know, a few dozen people come in and, and we just kind of talked to them and it's kind of a trial run because we want to do these in cities all over the country. And we just, you know, what better place to do it than you know Arizona in October, I guess. Yeah. I Why not make me fly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the on, nicest on a it's the nicest time of the year in Michigan right now, man. Do, do your leaves change? Mm-hmm. Oh, that must be nice. And it's like usually uh, 70, low 70s right now, blue skies, the leaves are changing. It's awesome. It's, honestly, September and October in Michigan, that's the only two months make it worth it. 
Interesting story. My dad, the drug dealer. My dad's not actually a fucking drug dealer. Just a clock. Just to sure. clear that area yeah, right sure. now. But yeah, yeah. That's what every Excuse kid of a drug dealer would say. That's exactly what a drug dealer's kid would say. <laughs> but my dad's from Michigan, and I have never said I've been in Detroit International Airport changing planes, but I've never actually set foot in the state of Michigan. I think it's something that's on my to-do list. Detroit's a nice town. It's like it's calm and beautiful it, and yeah. really Detroit's, modern. Detroit's got some fun places to hang. I mean, like the Metro Detroit area, there's a lot of fun things to do and hang out or whatever, but you got to you gotta explore, especially the northern part of the country where it's just like much more sparsely populated and tons of lakes and, you know, trails and whatever else. It's beautiful, actually. I think we have more trees, I think because of the, you know, the upper peninsula. I think that helps skew the numbers, but we have more trees in Michigan than California. Oh, damn. So all you liberals in California that think you're amazing because of your oxygenating the world, yeah, we're doing better in Michigan. So. <laughs> they, uh, I, 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 and just to add to it, I am from California originally, but I don't think that I, I'm, I'm the coolest <laughs> fucking thing ever. So <laughs> there's a reason that my dad brought us all out to Arizona. California can break off any time, man. <laughs> I have a California takeover plan. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, let's hear it. You, everyone just, you, you, move everyone out that has any sort of conservative common sense. You let the liberal policies full, full run, defund the police, give everybody heroin, do everything that you want to do. All of the stuff, everybody shits anywhere they want. They piss anywhere they want. They can steal what they want. Just do whatever, free for all. Like let basically AOC be the governor of California. Oh, shit. <laughs> and then I would say that in less than five years, the place would basically be a wasteland, and then we just walk back in and take it back. And those market prices for the ten seven project would just fucking <laughs> down in the dumps. You guys just go in buy entire swathes of land. Be like Camp Pendleton. You mean all that beachfront property over there? <laughs> What's the state of California? I only know the ten seven on the west coast. <laughs> yeah. Just rename the state. I think they filmed Escape from L.A. out there. I don't remember. <laughs> What uh, what's the ultimate goal with the ten seven project? You've been doing it for a year now. Where do you want it to go in the next? You know, what's your five year plan? Our ultimate plan is to help ten thousand first responders supplement and replace their income with real estate. So, how many a, are you at now? It's audacious, you know? uh, about a hundred. Okay, so in there. Yeah, we 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 anticipate that it'll be exponential, not necessarily just additive. You know, we did a hundred about a hundred people our first year, and when we say a hundred people, we mean they started from unlicensed became licensed and are now producing. They're actually doing it. Um, so that's a hundred. And, uh, but I think it'll be exponential. I think we'll see a hundred to 300, 300 to 800. You know, right, I, I right. think it will be uh, exponential growth as it goes along, but that's the, that's the long goal. I mean, if we can get there in five years, great, but we'll be heads down until then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not it's not like a, a linear path. You're not going from person A to person B to person C. You go, you got these first hundred people or so, and then each of them is going to go to, you know, 10 or 15 or so of their friends, and then those people start branching yeah, yeah. out and branching out. I got you. All yep. Right. Nice. Um, and uh, uh, shit, I, I'm getting old because this is something that is now happening with more frequency is that those questions just <laughs> off they go. Um, all, but, right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> So Mike's just trying to get me drunk. Um, let's. Uh, that's all it takes. That's cheap. Man. <laughs> I am no. I am cheap. It's, yeah. No. I I like to classify myself as a bourbon connoisseur, uh, uh, so that because alcoholics got a really negative connotation to it. <laughs> yeah, but I can only drink better. one or two glasses of this shit. So. Oh man. Yeah. No. I I can 
I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, maybe I'm an alcoholic. I don't know. <laughs> but who knows? We're, uh, 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 so Chris, you guys survived the streets and, and Mike with, of course, with Mike the Cop. But where did this, now let's go back. Where did the social media stuff uh, begin for each of you? Well, I was bored on patrol one day and uh, I was looking around. So That's a good website name, by the way. Yeah. Bored on patrol. Bored on patrol. Does that exist? No, but that should exist. Get your phone out and buy it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just buy the uh, com would be a funny. Uh, yeah. We tried sat. We tried cop satire before. Yeah, uh, we just couldn't keep up with it. But uh, yeah, board on patrol. It's, board on patrol sounds like a place that'll automatically be uh, be added to the like yeah. firewall <laughs> access of every agency computer. <laughs> but yeah, ignore was, the link to Pornhub in the left, right, bottom left right, corner, yeah, guys. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Got to make money, man. Um, but yeah, so I was just I was riding around. I was board on patrol. And when I started policing, I started in a very rural Alabama department. There was 11 of us, including the sheriff, covering 625 square miles. Holy Christ. Um, <laughs> I was way busier in that rural department than I was in the suburban department that I went to for the rest of my time. Um, and I was talking to a buddy, and we were talking about training. And, like, the training he got was just trash, just, tr like, none, non-existent. If it was free and local, he could get training, otherwise not. And I was like, how many cops out there just have no access to any kind of training? So I thought, I'm going to create this page. I'm going to call it Survive the Streets, a page for cops. And I'm just going to put tips and training advice and, you know, how to not get killed as best you can <laughs> um, on there. And it, it kind of, it started out that way. We would break down videos and, you know, it just kind of grew from there. And then, uh, you know, again, I got bored with it. And then we started doing like, funny shit and I don't know, like memes and stuff. And <laughs> now it's just, it is what it is now, but I, I'm actually not a part of it anymore. I, I stepped away from it a couple of years ago just because it needed fresh legs. Like I, sure. I, you know, seven or eight years of doing it, it just, it needed somebody else. So I stepped away, but it's still there and, and rocking and rolling, I guess. Yeah. I still follow the page. I mean, I think that I was following the page before I was even a cop and I, would venture to guess that just about anybody I work for is still following survive the streets. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, good on you for, for recognizing the deficiency in, in training. Um, because it is something that is just, it, it, it's like a cancer within law enforcement is that you get people all the time. They're like, Oh shit, you guys get to, I, I am extremely lucky working for a, a medium to large size metropolitan agency. Um, in that I, I ask for training and yeah, go for it, dude. Especially in my current job as a detective because I've never, I did patrol for several years and then I became a detective. Well, I've never been a detective before. So it's like, Hey, any of these investigations classes you want to go to go for it, sign up for it. You're only going to get better because of it, but there are just not that many agencies out there who recognize that the training is an investment in uh, it, within your officer, your deputy or trooper, whoever. Um, and if you don't make those investments, those same people may very well find a place that will invest in them, you know? Um, and, and they are going to be, they're going to be safer. They're going to be smarter, um, and not just smarter, you know, streetwise, but allow your, your cops to go to shit financial planning classes. That's something I wish that I'd had. I got like a crash course from an FTO and, you know, two hours in the car one day. You're almost out of FTO time to buy that truck, son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like, and make sure you get it at like a, like a 32% APR and you'd be good to go. Right. <laughs> but it was, Hey, this, how much are you putting into? You don't it? have a boat. Yeah. What? <laughs> And do you know how badly I want to own a boat too? And I sit there, I'm like, I can't do that. That would just be bad. Um, but yeah, you, 
you just don't, you don't see it a lot. So, I mean, kudos to you for, for getting that page off the ground. And, and uh, like you said, it's, it's grown into its own beast right now. It's got a mind of its own type of thing. Do you know, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Do you know the, the people that started Survive the Streets Down Under? No. Okay. I'm completely not connected to them at all. They reached out to me when I first started, and they were like, hey, we're thinking about doing this uh, kind of the same thing you're doing, but do it in Australia. And I was like, oh, whatever, it's Australia. Like, they hate they hate me now, they man. Hate you so they much. hate me bad. Yeah, the yeah. Aussies hate you. Those guys that run that page hate me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of cops that hate my ass. <laughs> but that's a different story. But the definitely the Australia ones because I was calling out Australian cops for being complete uh, tyrants with this. Oh, they're chasing stuff. people down at protests and masking them up, and and it's yeah. you know it's absolutely absurd. Yeah. And now, since he said that on your podcast, they're going to hit you too. So that's enjoy. all right. Yeah. Just you can make an announcement like I, these views are not my own. Uh, <laughs> that is a that is a <laughs> header in the bio on my Instagram page. <laughs> these views do not represent any agency or yeah. my, or that of my own. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, yeah, again, like we just asked the other day, like, hey, is there any because we got told that, hey, you know, and I, I don't necessarily ally myself to any agency while I'm on this show just to keep chief from punching me in the face um i don't think he'd do that most of the time but um we just asked the other day hey we got all these these like federal officers that are wanting to come in are are, are we planning on doing that and, nope no your governor has said absolutely not it's not going to happen so no agency in in the state of arizona really needs to worry about it um that isn't under federal purview such as federal law enforcement agencies or uh, tribal agencies and which is mind-blowing that tribal agencies would fall under the purview of the federal government right there's again, really? There's, yes. That, that, doesn't that defeat the purpose of tribal? <laughs> again, like the jokes write themselves, right? And, and again, it's it's hard not to look at it and like, and think of it that way. Be like, are you fucking kidding me? Like that, the, the, the situation that you're currently in is because of the federal government. And now you're going to allow yourself to just be governed and, and be wholeheartedly told what to do by the federal government. Makes sense if you don't think about it. Yeah, exactly. If you don't think about it. But uh, but we got told, you know, no, it's nothing you need to worry about. And then you've got countries in Europe, of all places, who I would have thought would have been like holdouts this whole time of, oh, COVID, COVID, COVID. But I think it's like Switzerland is basically like, oh, COVID, you mean the fucking flu? Like, oh, and Den- Denmark's completely back. To Denmark's home. completely back completely. to normal. I think Sweden's getting that way. Uh, and not to, to make light of it. Uh, I mean, my. A buddy of mine's got COVID right now. We lost an officer to medical complications. I just know someone COVID that died of COVID last week. Yeah, yeah, and, mean, again, and we're not we're not at all saying, you know, we're not saying COVID doesn't exist, but for fuck's sake, do we need to have shut our entire country down, destroyed the world, the world's economy? We're not just America's economy, the global economy. Um, did all that really need to happen? And and sure, you can be like, oh, well, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, you know, you can't really just armchair quarterback it. But again, like you, you got the smartest people up to this point in world history uh, saying, oh, yeah, we should totally lock it down. And then a year later, they're like, oh, yeah, we should totally fire all the fucking nurses and doctors who don't yeah, want to get stuck from, with a vaccine. It's gone from two weeks to flatten the curve to fire all the people that were willing to work without a vaccine for years to help people and get rid of them. That's, yeah, it makes sense if you don't think about exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That'll, it, it gets me fired up right now. I was, uh, uh, I've talked to a few people because I did, at last year I did get vaccinated having a small child, um, uh, my mom was in a pretty bad car accident and had her spleen ruptured. So she was, and, and they just took it all out. So she's a little bit like higher risk. My dad had two heart attacks last year. So again, higher risk. So I was like, yeah, I'll get, fuck it. I'm healthy. I'll get stuck. I still have complications from the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Fucking Moderna. 
call them bastards out. I was the person, the person that we know that died last week was vaccinated. And now the family is upset and blaming unvaccinated people for it. Like, yeah, but yeah, but he was vaccinated. So what, what could, what could anybody else have done? You know, and that's what people, I think people need to understand that this is not a vaccine. It's not, it's, it doesn't stop you. Like if you get the measles vaccine, you can't get the measles. Right. And you cannot transmit the measles. It kills the measles. But the COVID vaccine does not stop you from getting COVID and it does not stop you from transmitting it. It does neither of those things. And, and good for anybody that feels like you're saying like, hey, if you feel like you're in a compromised position, whether it's on your own uh, immune system or somebody else's you're around, and that's, a, that's the right decision for you to make, and you've weighed out the risks and talk, talked that through and thought that through from a factual objective standpoint, cool. But when, uh, when, we, start, when we start portraying it as something that it's not, that's where you, that's where I'm just lost. I'm like, why can't we just call it what it is? You know, a treatment of some kind, right? Uh, a mitigation, but yeah, a vaccine. It is not. No, no, I, I agree with you, man. I mean, you, yeah, I agree with everything you just said. Cause you sit there and you're like, okay, well, are we going to do this? No. And the answer should be okay. Not, Oh, well, fuck you. I'm going to come burn your house to the ground. Like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. <laughs> I just said, I wasn't really comfortable getting that put into my body right now, you know, but okay, whatever. Yeah. So, but uh, crazy, crazy stuff, man. Mike, where'd you get your start? Was it Vine? Is that where we all first first saw Mike the cop? Probably, yeah. Vine or Facebook. Um, we had started an organization called Humanizing the Badge, and we had we were trying to figure out well, how do we get more eyes on what we're doing? And at the time, I had my kids and guys at work showing me this Officer Daniels guy on Vine who I was like, this guy can't, this guy can't be a real cop. What department would have let him do this? You know? And it turns out he definitely was a real cop, but, um, I'm looking at this and I'm laughing and my kids like it. I'm like, well, I could try that. I could try to do something. Cause I just felt like I saw the writing on the wall of video being, I mean, vine was like blowing up and Facebook was then had added video. And so I'm like, hmm, well, let's try it. And just started making content and putting it out there and it just caught, caught fire early on and uh i just never stopped making videos i guess <laughs> well and, and every cop in america appreciates you for not stopping making videos man <laughs> well it, it's funny too because like he, he he started adminning for me on survive the streets like and and then he would be like i'm gonna share a mike the cop video on survive the streets and he'd have like a thousand followers or something at the time and then all of a sudden his followers would skyrocket and ours would stay the same <laughs> <laughs> it's like Brilliant, buddy. <laughs> There's not a return on an investment here. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, what? Man. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying like that's that that's really like that's it. I just I just never stopped, and I've I've never had a strategy to it. I never, I mean, I just try to be myself and and put kind of. I mean, I feel like it's where wherever law enforcement meets culture. That's like where the space that I want to be in. I'm not. I'm certainly not like Johnny Tactical, and I'm not. And I'm not somebody that's just, just smoking and joking. I, I try to kind of do walk that line where I'm like, I, I really am trying to advocate for smart things in law enforcement and defend law enforcement and also educate people and entertain people in a way that's like, maybe at least gives them a momentary pause to go, hmm, never thought about it like that. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and one thing I really love about what you've always done is, yes, you, you advocate for law enforcement. Yes, you, you defend them. 
but you're also not, and you never have been afraid to call a spade a spade and be like, <laughs> yeah. this is fucked up. Like you <laughs> right. guys are doing wrong here. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's where you get a lot of your respect from as well. Well, from some people, other people just hate me for it, but yeah, well, <laughs> well, fuck them. <laughs> oh, that's my attitude. Yeah. Otherwise I would have quit a long time ago. <laughs> well, and you sit there and it's, you know, you talk about leveraging the power of social media. Um, how did each of your agencies react to, to finding out that, that you've got these, you know, social media pages with massive following. Did you catch any flack for it? Did you get coworkers shitting on you or was everybody pretty much like on board with it? Mine was, I kept it silent. They didn't know for a long time. Um, in fact, when they found out one of the other guys was working with me on survive the streets and he was one of my admins and he posted a screenshot of one of our MDTs <laughs> and, that's, yeah, and that's how they found out. And it did not end well for him. They ended up terminating terminating his employment. But when I talked to them about it, they were just like, well, you don't identify yourself and you don't identify the agency, right? And I was like, yeah, like they don't know who I am. They don't know who my agency is. And they were like, you better fucking keep it that way. Okay. That was That's- pretty much the speech that I got. I think the exact words I got were, okay, be careful. Yeah. Uh, all right. But you, you see like cops and... Um, like LAPD or other agencies for their personal social media pages about like, yeah, we like the fuck you mean you're going to defund us. Like we already have half the people that work here showing up to work and the other half have all retired or, or left and staffings at critical levels. And then LAPD admins being like, Oh man, we can't let that person have say that shit. You're fired. So, you know, like good on them for at least letting you keep it going, yeah. you know, type of thing. What about you, Mike? I, uh, I had been doing, work with, like I said, humanizing the badge for close to two years, almost two years at the time that like we, we came to a point to where we're going to try this video thing. So I looked at the policy and all all our policy was pretty blanket. It was just, you can't uh, portray the department or the profession in a negative way. So I'm like, Oh, that's easy enough, you know? Um, and I had really good support actually from the guys in my department when I was started doing actually like where I really got my start before making other videos was Periscope. There was a, a service where you could go live and nobody did that. Facebook didn't have Facebook live. There was no Instagram live. Periscope was it. And now they're owned by Twitter or whatever. But, um, me and we, I call him officer butthurt. He was my partner and he never wanted to be on camera. So I just called him officer butthurt. Cause he's a little bitch, you know, like I was this, I would make fun <laughs> of him. And while we were, we would hump calls from like 7 PM to two or three in the morning. And when things started to slow down and we had our reports to write, I would just pop the camera up in the, in the car and go live and be like, talk about our night, what, what kind of calls we did, whatever. And we, we would just, people loved it, you know? And, one of my sergeants pulled me aside and was like, Hey man, like make sure that he, we, we love what you're doing, but just tag out for that lunch, that break, you know, when you make videos, like, cause I don't want to see it end. So just be smart about it. And it was a like, great advice. So it's always like, always walk the line. No one was ever able to come to me and go, you did something that you weren't supposed to do. Um, and I, I went to the admin and said, Hey, I'm going to be making videos. The point of the videos is like to just draw attention because for the longest, there was no money in it. There's no like no monetization on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, whatever, even YouTube early on. I didn't have enough followers 
get ads right, or whatever. Right. It was like it wasn't it wasn't about that. It was truly about just like, hey, I'm just I'm just doing something that I feel like is good for the law enforcement community. And uh and they just gave me enough rope to hang myself with and I just didn't do it. So I mean like I was really fortunate that early on the admin was like seeing positive things come from it and they were cool with it. So I never really uh really never really had an issue, to be honest. It was awesome. Well that's, and that's good to hear. I think that uh I mean, and, and both of your pages ended up inspiring me to start this podcast because you come about with the the in custody death of George Floyd last year and, and all of the fallout from that. And I sat there like constantly frustrated and pissed off. Like what like the fuck are you comparing me to those dudes for that guy for? Like I'm I'm my own cop. Like we're all just our own people. Like I leave here. I don't I don't drive to and from my station in a uniform ready to pull people over at a moment's not. I don't like snap up out of bed and wearing my boots already and wander out and, uh, you know, tell my neighbor that their trash cans have been on the street too long. Like I, I, I exist outside of this career and I want people to understand that, that cops are, are real human beings with real emotions. Uh, not to, not to make the whole cliche out of it, but we, you know, we bleed red just like everybody else. We, we, we cry, you know, we, we have, we laugh, we love, we have all these fucking complex emotions, just like everybody else. It's just, we happen to do it kind of an interesting job, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. Type of thing. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I said something akin to that in my, one of my oral board interviews early, you know, right before I got hired about the power of social media and what was coming to mind was Mike, the cop and survive the streets and, and officer Daniels and the humanize the badge. And I had a commander look at me at like, are you fucking insane? Why would you put yourself on social media? Why would you put yourself out there like that? It's like, well, somebody has to, because we can't just, we can't just be solely represented by the cops TV show. No offense. I'm glad to see them. Glad to see that they're back. <laughs> um, but, uh, but people need to hear the kind of the real stories behind, you know, well, that was behind us. That was why I ever started doing anything in the first place. Even pre humanizing the badge was the Michael Brown shooting. I saw that and I saw the media's handling of that. And I was just like, these guys are idiots. All these media outlets are complete fools. And the, everybody is being fooled. Like, and I, I just got to thinking because my kids were younger at the time. And I'm like, if my kids are on social media, they're getting fed constantly. This false narrative, as it turns out, was a complete lie. Complete and totally, utterly contrary to every fact of the whole situation was exactly what everybody was being fed and i'm like man if if this culture is like a playground of ideas some somebody that's going to speak up for cops better fucking get in the game because it's a, it's a battle for minds it's a battle for clarity for common sense for like it's a big deal it's a big fucking deal to me it is anyway i think like man other people's kids whose parents are sloths they're not, they're not watching their kids on social media, but that kid is only hearing what this outlet is saying about it, and it's not true. They're watching these people in Congress or their NFL heroes do hands up, don't shoot, and they're just being lied to. And you're like, man, some, somebody that has experience in this world should say something, and I just kind of was like, I mean, I can't expect somebody else to do the work that I think needs to be done, and that's like, I, well, I'll do something. Yeah, you know? if, you, if you want something done right. You know, I, I can't remember who it was. I, I was, I was taught at an interview here on the podcast and, and their son had sort of out loud regurgitated something that he'd seen on social media mm -hmm. to his, his cop dad and his dad turned around and was like, okay, explain that to me. And then just, just remember 
you know, all your, your aunts and uncles at the police department and dad, like if you're going to have those thoughts, that's fine. But, but explain it to me so that I can understand it. And he was like, Oh, well, okay. I guess that's not really the way it is. You know, the way it was portrayed <laughs> on social media. It's like, yeah, uh, by all know, means yeah. disagree, but you need to have a reason, right? You got to be able to articulate. Give me the why. Why? Yeah, exactly. I 100%. had a, one of the, the ladies at uh, department that I work for, she worked in a court in the, in our court, which is attached to the department, you know? Um, and so she's like, Hey, will you do a ride along with my daughter? Like she had been exposed to my content or whatever. Like, uh, she at least doesn't probably think you're totally lame or whatever, but she went to college and was getting exposed to all sorts of these narratives that she was like starting to buy into, you know, cops are out to get you or all this other, you know, you know, the typical lines. So like, yeah, absolutely. So first call of the day and it's some crazy a crazy dude with a gun in a trailer somewhere or whatever. And I'm like, stay in the car, you know, like I'll turn the audio on for you. Cause we didn't have body cams, but we had microphones. Oh, okay. So I'm like, okay. you can hear what's going on, but this is a gun call. So I'm not you stay in the car, you know, that kind of a thing. So, uh, tussle, 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 get the gun. This whole, this whole thing. I get back in the car and I'm like, all right, we can go to the station, write the report. Like, and she's like, <laughs> eyes wide open like this is the first call of the day and i'm like yeah this is what cops do i was like you might be hearing that cops love to just shoot people but where what, what's happening with this guy when well, he's going to the hospital yeah he, he lived could i have shot that dude yeah probably <laughs> but I, I i chose to go this route instead like explaining that stuff like people just expose and you know that's the weakness of social media is you can feel like you can see a meme or a blurb and think you understand it. And until you actually get exposed to it or have a conversation and, and, uh, and, and if someone's willing to have a conversation, you can usually be productive. But after just slinging proverbial shit, like a monkey in comments, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were out in, uh, in Kauai in August and we had this couple next to us from Utah and, uh, you know, Hey, what do you do? Oh, Hey, what do you do? And he found out I was a cop and he was like, dude, I have so many questions. I was like, well, I'm on a very small island. Uh, I've got nowhere to go. So what you got? Fuck it. Like, I'll just sit here. Sat there for like four and a half hours and talked to this guy. And he was at the end of it, you know, they're like, oh, hey, thanks for talking to me, dude. And that's all it fucking takes sometimes is just have this dialogue with people and have this conversation. I had you know, something not quite, but similar to, to what you experienced. I, I had a, uh, a citizen ride along and... Uh, ended up outside of like a, a Walmart or a Kohl's where all the good things are always happening and there's never any negative <laughs> that comes out of that. Um, and, uh, uh, one of my teammates and I had to arrest these two people and they wanted to fight. So, okay, we'll do that too. Um, and we won. And after <laughs> one of them was like, you, you know, slammed upon the hood of the car, handcuff, handcuff, click, clack, get in the back. And then, uh, everything calms down and I jump in and I'm like, okay, well, uh, sorry about that. And he was like, no, I think that guy was being a fucking asshole. It was like, well, good for you, sir. Citizen. I'm glad that you agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we were, you mentioned this to some people at this little conference we were doing is that once you step back for a while, you do realize most people support the police. Most people are cool people. Like they're not, it's not that, but it's just that narrative is so powerful. And what the danger is the minds of people who aren't thinking for themselves, the minds of people who are just scrolling social media, you know, but for the most part, most normal people, they're cool with the police. They might have their questions and, but they're, they're more able to have conversations than, than we give them credit for it. It's easy to get cynical as a cop and think, 
you know, fuck all these people there. Most you know. people want you to fuck up the people that are stealing their shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 You do get, get a lot of people. I had, uh, chased a guy out of a Walmart through, through a parking lot and he was running towards a movie theater. And, uh, this dude in his, like, like, I don't even know what it was like an 81 Honda civic decides that he's going to try and play chicken with this guy and was like actively trying to go down the parking aisles and stop this dude from running away from me. And finally we end up hooking this guy and dude comes up to me. And he was like, man, fuck that guy. He's out stealing. That's why the, the fucking rollback prices are going away. It's just getting <laughs> expensive. So I was trying to help you out. I'm like, thanks dude. I really appreciate it. Hey, can you drive me back to my car? Like, <laughs> <laughs> the rollback prices. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a, it's been a good experience all the way around. Um, and you're still out there creating content. Do you have any, any goals? I mean, where, where's, uh, Mike, the cop and, and your content in five years type of thing. And that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I, I just want to keep making content that, that stays in that zone. Um, if I, if I feel like it's law enforcement and call, and I've always been myself too, I'll, I'll throw random things in there that really have nothing to do with law enforcement, but for the most part, that's the zone that I like to be in. And obviously that content changes over time. The further I'm away from the job, the less relevant, you know, I'm necessarily like when I was working full time, every shift created a video idea for me. You know, now it's like I have to look back on those experiences and and think, OK, how could I, you know, adapt that for something now or whatever. So I try to, you know, be relevant in that space. And I'm just going to continue to make that content and, you know, doing a podcast and um, pushing people toward things like the 107 project or supporting humanizing the badge or a call for backup, like mental health resilience. And uh, yeah, I mean, like it's basically a funnel. So Mike, the cop is a place where people can come enjoy the content. And if you want to, if you want to support what I'm doing, well then you can, if, if it's as simple as getting a t-shirt, cool, do that. If it, if you're looking for help on transitioning out of law enforcement, yeah, I can help you there too with the 107 project. If you, you know, if you like podcasts, go listen to this. If you like, you know what I'm saying? It's just like a, an avenue. It's kind of like right. it's still going to be the tip of the spear for me because it exists, you know. And and uh, remind everybody listening, what is your podcast title? Uh, Failure to stop. Failure to stop. Got yeah, it. If okay. you look that up on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcast you listen to, it's it's there. Gotcha. Have you had Chris on as a guest? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. No, you are you are one of the few. I've probably only done four or five podcasts ever. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate the hell out of you uh, uh, coming uh, coming up here. And and uh, shout out to my buddy Brent. I do talk about him all the time on the show. I got to get him actually on, on the other side of this table uh, because Brent knows Chris. And uh, that's where I ended up getting involved and, and getting a hold of Chris. And then Chris knows Mike. And that's why I have these two handsome gentlemen sitting in front of me here uh, here right now. What um, uh, One thing I am curious about, it just clicked into my head. There's the question that... that Old, old, old brain, Kevin, it wandered off a little bit. It, it Joe Biden itself out of my head a little while ago. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> but uh, with the Ten Seven project, is it like a, is it a brokerage or how is it like, do people sell houses under the Ten Seven like banner or like, are there licenses hanging somewhere else or? No. So we, we looked at doing it that way, but then we kind of determined that the brokerage we use is EXP Realty and they are a nationwide brokerage in all 50 states, 11 different countries. And they are a one brokerage model. So uh, if you don't understand the business of real estate, generally how it works is you have a company, let's say like Keller Williams, Century 21, Remax, they sell a franchise. So that franchise office, you work out of that franchise office and then you are, you know, 
that's where you you do your real estate business or whatever. EXP is completely different where they, you know, I can sell real estate in Arizona. I can sell real estate in Alabama. I can sell real estate in Michigan. It just depends on how many licenses I want to get. And I only pay one set of fees and, you know, all that stuff. So that allowed us to go everywhere. And then it also has an element where, let's say you become a real estate agent, sign up with a 10-7 project, and, and you're under the EXP umbrella and you sell real estate, the, you know, when you, when you sell real estate, you have to pay a portion of your commission to the company, right? Well, that, the company in turn gives us back a portion of that. So it sets itself up so that we don't even have to charge cops to do this. Like it's, it's a completely free to them service because the company pays us for their success. So it's just, that's how we structured it. I gotcha. And where do people go to uh, to look into signing up, or if they want more information, what, what avenues are available to them? So they would go to the word ten, so spelled out T E N, the number seven project.com, ten seven project.com. Okay, gotcha. Um, and what uh, what's on the agenda that was on the calendar uh, coming up? I know you just had one today. Uh, what are your kind of your next uh, next next conferences? Well, the next the next setup is to kind of plan that out. Um, this was a trial run, so we wanted to see how it went, see, you know, what we could tweak and make better and stronger. Um, and, and it was a recon mission. Yeah. So yeah, we, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> we have to do a debrief on that and figure it out, but we're going to try to hit, you know, four or five cities a year, um, coming forward. Our next one's probably three or four months away at least, but. Oh yeah. Maybe Q1 of 2022 or something. Yeah. yeah. But, and then we'll start, we'll start rolling them out and, and vis- visiting a city near you. <laughs> the ten seven project coming to a city near you. I like it. Are you going to make Mike get on an airplane again, and sit in the middle seat, or uh... Uh, <laughs> is he going to be, well, buy me a first class ticket? I'll man. buy him a first class. Ticket oh, no, oh, damn! No Southwest flights for Mike. Yeah. Well, <laughs> namely because I have to fly the next time. So yeah, probably yeah. yeah. It's got to be somewhere for both of us. Maybe I can do it in Detroit. Yeah, there you go. I. You educate me a little bit, Mike, if you will, on Detroit, because there's, again, you are, you really, if you're outside of Detroit, you really only get one view of Detroit, which is houses are falling down and, and, and the world's just kind of coming to a, a slow stop. Sure. And, but what is, I mean, having worked there for as long as you did uh, and, and grown up there and, and you still live there, um, what do you see when, when you look at Detroit? Man, a, a lot of it is a, a world different than it was a decade ago. Um, and it turns out when you arrest your corrupt mayor and uh, all of the police officers attached to him and uh, everybody else and then put them in jail or fire them, that things can get better. Weird. Uh, <laughs> it's like when you stop bad guys from doing bad guy shit, things can, things can improve. Um, and, and there's been a massive amount of improvement in, it, I mean, when you think about Detroit proper, like Midtown, Downtown, um, lots of renovation. But a lot of the suburban areas around it are thriving, you know, good good things happening. Detroit's a massive uh, amount of land. Uh, it's not like Houston where it's 600 some square miles for the city proper. It's like a hundred and some odd square miles, but you could fit San Francisco and like three other cities inside Detroit. It's, it's big. And most of it is useless at this point. Um, so there are parts of Detroit that are like one house on a block, you know, but it, that's more, in certain outskirt parts versus the the main heart of of where people are moving into and and things like that so it's improved a lot you know when i was growing up you had a bat in your car and you didn't stop at stop signs you know and now like 
my kids would be like, oh, we're going to meet so-and-so down at the river walk, you know, like, all right, cool. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot different. So it's, uh, there's been a ton of improvements for sure. But uh, yeah, the whole area is, you know, it's on, it's on the move. We, we, we have the same boom and real estate and prices and all that stuff going on there that everybody else has had. So good. Good to hear that, that Detroit's kind of coming out of it. Cause I think that what's the, the, prevailing image is that one from 10 years ago sure of like you're saying the house the one house on the block you know the 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 gang wars that are that are taking place the the transients all that kind of stuff but you know it's funny how how things kind of switch places that i would imagine that seattle's not too far out from looking like detroit 10 years ago and now (laughs) and now detroit's looking like seattle 10 years ago you know it's weird it's almost like there's a trend if someone looked at history of what causes these things and then maybe said like maybe we shouldn't do those things (laughs) Maybe we could avoid these problems, but you're asking for people to have paid attention in high school <laughs> civics. <laughs> humans are humans, though. So, what uh, um, you know, either of you could go back to your younger selves when you when you first jumped into this career. What do you say? What's that conversation look like? Buy Bitcoin and a lot of <laughs> yeah, buy Bitcoin and yeah. start real How estate much do now. You have? <laughs> sell sell everything and buy Bitcoin and live at your dad. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter how hard it is. Buy Bitcoin and buy real estate in 2009 when the prices are in the dumps. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it, genuinely, I wouldn't change too terribly much about the way my life has, has transpired. So I don't know that I would I would go back and, and offer myself a lot of advice to change the trajectory that my, wife, that my life took uh, because – everything that I did and everything that happened to me at any point in time in my life has led me to where I am right now. And right, right here is a really good place to be. So I don't know that I would change too much, but I'd still tell myself to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I dude, I look back, man. And, and I look back and go, well, that was, oh shit, that was stupid. I hear I was thinking that that was all just bullshit. Like uh, the computers could shut off any day. We're not going to buy that. Wait, how much is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just think about this. Like the first Bitcoin transaction was a Domino's pizza for ten, like ten thousand coins. It's a five hundred million dollar pizza now. <laughs> I hope it was something. tasty. <laughs> Oof, it's Domino's. It's not. It's not, like, not that great. What about you, Mike? What do you tell? What do you tell young Mike? Man, I, I feel the same way. I, I, I don't regret. Like I, I don't look back on my career and think if only I would have done this, that, or the other thing different. Like. I enjoyed it. I mean, like I could, I I had aspects of the job that I, I enjoyed more than others, but I look back and go like, I don't, I don't think, I don't know that I would tell myself anything, anything different. You know, I, I'm glad that I went in a little bit, a little bit, uh, I guess, hopeful, realistic. I think it helped that I went in when I was like in my early thirties, you know, I, I already, I already had my identity as a person you already had life experience i didn't i didn't grow into feeling like being a cop was all i had and i think that that's what so many cops end up you know that's my advice to new cops is don't let this be your identity let it be a noble you know worthy job uh even a calling right like you you've had the fire in the bones to do this and and this is what you want to do then you go do it and do it to the best of your ability but it's not your identity it's, it's, it's a, it's an outworking of who you really are. So, but let that, don't let that dictate who you are, you know, and all of a sudden shut off the rest of the world around you and become like this cynical son of a bitch that 
hates life and everything around him and gets three divorces and owns two boats that he can't afford. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're the stereotypical grumpy old crusty right. cop. Like you don't, you don't have to do that. It, it's not, it's not a, it's not an inevitability. It's a choice. So that's, I'm glad I avoided that, but I think it helped that I started later in life and not like right out of college, like jump in and, and get consumed by it. Right. Well, and, and speaking as somebody who did, I mean, I was, I was 26, but I fucked around in community college for way too long trying to become a firefighter. And there's my deep, dark secret. Um, <laughs> but, uh, would you like to add anything that to that, Mike, would what? you like to break anything about being a firefighter on this podcast? Oh, I, people that follow me should know that I am a certified firefighter. There you go. Yeah. I actually did not know that. Yeah. I, uh, my first gig in Michigan, they have, I don't, I keep asking people this and I probably just don't listen to the answer, but in Michigan they have what they're called public safety departments. So it's police and fire. So that was my first gig was, was doing both. And can you, can you just like lateral from one side to the other, like fairly easily? Uh, a fire certification never expires. No shit. Yeah. So you could go get a job at a fire department. Most fire departments though require a medic license, which I don't have. So yeah, they, uh, I was a registered EMT for four years cause I, uh, out here it is hundred percent, like 98% of all fire calls are medical. So you need to yeah. at the very least be an EMT. So I was all bright and shiny, 18, 19 years old. Like, yeah, I'm going to go be an EMT and get hired as a firefighter. Wait, what do you mean? I can't get hired as a firefighter. Well, sorry. It's, uh, you go test for Phoenix fire department and you are one of 7,000 applicants or something along those lines. I was like, <laughs> right. Oh shit. I should probably find something else to do. But, uh, but you talk about not letting it consume you and, and be your identity. And that's something that I think I even struggled with man. Not, I don't think I need to get, get out of saying that, but I know that I struggle with it. Cause mm -hmm. I just sat there the other day going like, the fuck am I going to do with myself if I'm not a cop anymore? And mm -hmm. then I, and then I, I caught myself I'm like, wait a sec. I even got this, a, a similar statement in the Academy from a, a, a Sergeant with, I think like Arizona state university's police department is be, be a man who's a cop, not a cop who's a man. Mm, yeah. You know, and, and I had to look at that and go, okay, all right. Like I have a whole boatload of, I absolutely love my job and I love what I'm doing now. Uh, I truly believe that it is a noble job, but there may come a time where i just need to be like, all right, time, time to go into something different. I know my wife would be supportive because uh, she didn't sleep for four years that I was on patrol or whatever, <laughs> you know, especially working graveyards. Um, uh, but uh uh, yeah, I mean, it, like, I can't say what, what either of you said any better than the way that you said it is, uh, you know, in, enjoy what you do, um, but don't let it consume every fiber of your being. Yeah. Have a life, man. Yeah, have a life. Absolutely. Have a life outside, <laughs> a, a sitting in a, in, in a the house of a guy who is a cop and has Start a, cop a podcast, podcast. <laughs> and, and, and has all this cop shit around the room. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I got cop shit in my office too, but. And I keep it, I keep it localized, right? Like it's all, it's all here. It's, it's nowhere else in the house. The rest of the house is the rest of the house. This room is all, is all what it needs to be. There so including that my cousin gave me that truncheon right there over my shoulder that I'm pretty sure has some bite marks in it so, <laughs> from, from London. But, uh, um, nice. what, uh, um, with, uh, with the, uh, the humanize the badge project, are you still involved uh, with that? Yeah. Right now we're doing, uh, our, our social media game is atrocious. Um, we haven't had as much of a presence. We used to be very, very well known, I guess, and synonymous with social media, but we had a lot of people like myself or Daniels that were really active. Um, and just life happens and everybody goes in their different directions and focus has changed. But we, we are um, giving out grants quarterly to, so if you're an officer or a department that's doing something awesome in your community, 
or if you are someone in the community doing something awesome alongside officers or for officers, then we're giving out grants. So we get these applications, we review them, like we have other people review that for us, kind of hand us the top picks, and then the board chooses who's getting the final grants each each uh, quarter and giving out these grants to help them further what they're doing on the ground in their communities, and we'll post about that and highlight that. That way we're giving them, you know, the kudos and attention that we can uh, to it. So that's what we're doing. So as we raise money, we're just kind of giving it out. We don't have anybody on salary. Um, we've never, I've never taken a dime from humanizing the badge. Um, never been you know, paid to do an event or something like that. So, um, we just try to funnel that through. Um, and it's pretty simple. The name is the mission, right? Just right. try try to actually do that somehow. So that's taken many different forms over the years, but right now that's what we're doing is we're trying to highlight what other people are doing and, and give them some resources to help support them in the way. And are you still in contact with everybody? I, I how did how did everybody end up coming together? So you got you know yourself, Officer Daniels. You, you had Hookem and Bookem, you know, yeah, part yeah. of that. But I imagine that everybody's you know kind of all over the country type of thing. Or yeah, everybody's all over. Still friends with all those guys. There's nobody that there's uh you know bad blood or something like that. So we're all, we're all connected. We're all just in different stages of life. You know, um, Hookem and Hookem and Bookem have a podcast now and. Uh, you know, nine one one strong. He's another another oh, yeah. character yep. from Humanizing the Badge. I mean, there's a bunch of people, and it's just he like, also has a podcast. It seems also, to be the thing to do. <laughs> everybody's got a podcast these days, you know. Um, and you know, so everybody's there. Everybody's supportive of each other. We have you know text conversations or DMs going back and forth regularly. I mean, we're we're in contact with all all of each other, and um, but yeah, it's just you know life happens, and everybody goes in these directions, and it's it's hard to it's really hard to hold something together that's clear and cohesive over a long period of time so but uh we're still there in some form yeah maybe one of these days i'll get better at leading it <laughs> <laughs> well and and it is i mean even uh you look at at somebody like daniels who is sharing very personal moments of his life yeah you know now and um uh, yeah i mean like you said everybody's just got to kind of go on their own way and, and and do their own thing and it it doesn't lessen anything that you guys had before and it doesn't minimize anything that you guys may have going forward yeah absolutely. Um, it's just you know everybody kind of goes there you can go your own way right that was a song <laughs> somebody said that, somebody yeah. said that i think before i was born at any rate but uh <laughs> so your dad was listening to while he's tossing cocaine well, he's out the window while chris was in a helicopter above him. <laughs> that explains all those trips to the gulf god damn it dad <laughs> oh man do you miss the helicopter chris I do miss the helicopter. If I that could do one awesome. thing, like if I could just get get my department any one thing, I, I have told my assistant chief before because he used to come out. All the chiefs would, but but the assistant chief was the one who kind of knew me for the guy who was always asking about helicopters. And he finally comes in and he's talking about what the department gets. And but I get to the point where I'm like, ha, and he goes, Kevin, if you ask me about a helicopter Dude, one more time, every quarter when we did evaluations <laughs> and it was like, do you have any suggestions for the department? We need a helicopter. We need a helicopter. I yeah. just, every quarter, it's like, it's the same thing. Like, no, we're not getting a helicopter. So yeah. interestingly enough, one of my uh, clients is a Mesa guy and he's, he's with their air unit now and he keeps telling me like I can come fly with him and I keep, not doing it, but I really, no, you really gotta need do it, man. Go do it. I did a, I did a couple of hours with, uh, Columbus, their air unit, which is, it was awesome. Those guys, like they've got a really cool unit out there and it was just, it was so fun listening to them hump calls in the air and going around and supporting them back. They, I mean, it was like, Oh, these guys are in a foot chase and they like find these dudes right there. And they're like, 
the other guys were fighting with some dude at a gas station. They fly over and they were like headed to land. Like, oh, we'll, we'll just we'll land and hop out and we'll just grab them up, <laughs> yeah. help them out, get back in, fly back up. I'm like, dude, this is this is freaking cool. Man. Hilo doesn't have a cage, but I mean, where are they going to fucking go? Right. right. So <laughs> gonna you're not going to put me in handcuffs. You got nowhere to go. Man. You got nowhere I mean, to if go. You wanna, if I you want to hop out, go ahead. If you want to grab a wrench and hit me over the head with it, go for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm the only one here who knows how to fly this fucker. So, but uh, to choose your own adventure story. So, so speaking of Detroit, last time we did an event with Humanizing the Badge in Detroit, um, they had their little. Oh, they did have thing. one of their helicopters. Yeah. yeah, they had their helicopter there, and the guy I was talking with the helicopter pilot. And he's like, "Hey, let's go get the helicopter." I was like, yeah, "Fuck yeah, let's go get the helicopter." And that was a pretty terrifying experience because Detroit's helicopter is old as fuck. Like yeah, it yeah. still has bullet holes in it from, <laughs> from Vietnam. Vietnam. I was going to say, yeah. sorry, fortunate son starts yeah. playing out of a broken <laughs> yeah. speaker when you turn the it's, thing on. It's still olive drab green. Hell like yeah. It's legit. Uh, <laughs> so I'm looking at it like, ah, oh, fuck it. Let's go. You know, that was a That's... DOD grant from 1972 that they're yeah. just, they're just hanging on to the federal government hasn't asked for this one back. We can keep it going. <laughs> I wonder if they have their airport. They, they had that shut down for so long. Uh, you know, the state state still had it. Yeah, COVID. No, because of corruption. But uh, yeah, no, they the state was forever the the air support. Uh, maybe a, the county, the county north of Detroit, Oakland County, they had a pretty good air program. But um, yeah, it's it's not common. It is not the state. The state still has a helicopter, but they don't run them as extensively as they used to. I don't, you know, I don't know the whole story behind that. But yeah, yeah, it's I, don't, pretty I, don't, cool. I don't remember the pilot's name, um, but he was an awesome dude. Like yeah. you know, just just a cool guy. I mean, have you ever met a, a pilot that wasn't awesome, though? You know, really, <laughs> if you're being honest. We yeah. went to, uh, my wife and I went to San Diego for Valentine's Day weekend, and I hit up one of their helicopter pilots, just met him met him through social media. He was like, dude, if you, uh, your wife, and you want to come down? I, he's like, we can't go up in the helicopter because of COVID and California reasons. Um, COVID, man, it spreads super high at above 1,000 feet. Yeah, so. especially with no fucking doors on the helicopter. So, <laughs> But he's like, you can at least come down and I'll show you around the, the they got like four helicopters there hanging. I'm like, fuck yeah, babe, you want to go? And she's like, no, I'm sleeping in, but you can go. Like, sounds good. I'll see you at lunch. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> my new best friend and I are going to go look at helicopters. <laughs> Let so. me tell you about my best friend. <laughs> the, uh, the, I was on a perimeter once. I really wish my agency would get a helicopter idea and I would do nothing else for my entire career because I have a true passion for aviation. I have a, a list of goals of 35 things to do before I turn 35 and one of them is to finish my private pilot's license. But um, I was on a perimeter once, uh, basically near our SWAT building, which was concerning in and of itself. And uh, they're like, okay, yeah, we're, we've got a helicopter en route uh, from Tucson, which if you're unfamiliar with the Arizona area, it's about two and a half hours south of Phoenix. And I'm like, well, fuck, we're going to be here a minute. So we got these drones as like this stopgap measurement, but you get like 20-ish minutes out of a drone battery. And it just doesn't have the same presence as this thump, 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 thump coming <laughs> overhead, right? I have seen somebody surrender to a helicopter before. It's like trying to drive a, a the new Explorers instead of a Crown Vic. doesn't have the same punch when you hear that coming. Criminals would be like, oh, shit. They hear the five five Crown Vic's engine stirring up and uh, hopping over some uh, rough terrain. <laughs> They're like, oh, I'm going to come out now. <laughs> Our Explorers are hybrids now. Oh, my gosh. And and my, so I'll let you both take a guess as to how many times I, how many times I've driven a Crown Victoria in my career. I became a cop in 2017. Chris, what do you think? How many times I drive a Crown Vic? I feel like this is going to make me cry. It might. Zero. What do you think, Mike? 
I, I feel like there was this one moment where you were sent to go get like sandwiches or something for training, and they're like, take that. And you drove a Crown Vic once. That's actually pretty fucking close. <laughs> <laughs> My, my FTO and I get out of his explore, his Explorer because he liked the Explorer platform. Ugh. And he's like, uh, uh, you got to come get me at the yard. And he goes, you got like two minutes because I'm driving away and I don't think you even know where the yard is. But go grab a set of keys and then get back down here. And I made a note to look at the number on the like 2010 Crown Vic, like the last, it was like our holdout car. There was like maybe four of these things left. And I looked at the number printed on it and I ran upstairs, grabbed that key tag, ran back downstairs and that was the only time I've ever gotten to drive a Crown Vic. <laughs> we did not have them for a, even a year after that point. Yeah, me and, me and my partner were the last holdout. Our, our car was the last one in service and uh, never, I hated the Tauruses, hated the Explorers. The Tauruses especially, I hated with a passion. Couldn't stand them. But uh, give me a Crown Vic, man. Loved it. Yeah, so most of my career I was, I was a Crown Vic. There was a brief like three-month period where they put me in what was it, like a Chevy Impala? And if you've never <laughs> was it driven stolen? It, it was like low to the ground and like I'm not a small man, right? Like so, I'm six foot five. I weigh two hundred ninety five pounds at the time. I was probably about two thirty five, two forty, and I legitimately would have to put my left hand on the ground to stabilize me to get out of the fucking. Car. Oh jeez, it was so awful. It was like driving a go kart. But you know, the rest of the time I was in a Crown Vic and. When I was getting pretty close to the end of my career, they're like, hey, you want one of these Tahoes? And I'm like, no, I'm good, you know? Yeah, Tahoes were all right. Some of some of them, the way that they laid out the inside had enough space. Some of them, they crammed you in some tight compartment. It was like, yeah, it was it was like being inside like of somehow, a submarine. Somehow it was smaller than the Crown Vic. Like, what the, what's going on? This is a Tahoe, you know? But, uh, yeah, that's what that's – I ended my career driving a Tahoe. Yeah, I, I drove a Tahoe for like a full year – and then that's when I finally had enough seniority on the road because we had such not even turnover, just like it was like everybody was getting fucking promoted. So I was the new guy. And then all of a sudden I had like 40 people behind me out of the academy because we had so many people get get promoted or retire out. And so I got to pick my own vehicle after a while. But uh, Chris, you should ask Brent one time about the Chevy Caprice because, you know, you know, Brent, he's not a small dude either. But that man loves himself a fucking Chevy Caprice. They're faster than that. shit. They are they are the quickest car I think I've ever driven. I almost lost my ass in a couple of them. Uh, but my favorite ride that I got was uh, probably about seven months of 2020. I drove our pursuit rated F-150. Nice. For an agency that doesn't allow you to pursue things, but it's just like what the tag Ford gives it. And that thing was awesome. I fucking loved that truck. I missed that truck. I've never, yeah, I never got a chance to do anything with the, the trucks like that. State troopers back in the day in Michigan had the caprices. Yeah, I guess they need to go fast. Well, that's what they it. do. That's what every night, every time cars would come out, Michigan state troopers would, they would run them on a track and they wanted, cause this has changed recently, but back in for the, the entirety of the history of MSP until recently, they would chase you till the tires came off. There was no end to the chase. It did not stop period. Whoever so runs out of gas first. You knew, like, you started running from the local guys like me when the state the state troopers got inv involved. It, it was over. You, you're not getting away because they will bring out every resource possible until this ends and you're in custody. And uh, so they know what they're doing with their cars. So whatever they're driving is typically like, oh, that's that's the one that's going to get the job done. So once they lost Crown Vicks, it went to uh, Chargers, I think, for the most part. Chargers. Yeah, I never had any experience in a Charger. Or uh, what was the other one that, 
shit, Durango, like the Dodge Durango, the SUV. Yeah. Like I see, I saw those. Well, there's a like huge a difference between the years, Hemi, but. the Hemi uh, Chargers, because our canine had one of those when I was on FTO, and I, he was one of my uh, like phase two FTO, and he was like, man, it melt your face off when he when he hit the gas, and then you get a regular dog. Char- you get a regular charger. It's like a four cylinder or whatever. It's like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that my take home car now is a four cylinder. And we had to go to a union retreat in Northern Arizona. And I was like, I'll take my personal car. I don't think that I don't have a whole lot of faith in my four cylinder to make it up that mountain. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, uh, uh, guys, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the hell of you guys coming on. But uh, as we wind down, you both have a, a microphone to the world. I joke with my uh, my demographics that I see on the screen. We got like two people in Russia and somebody in Norwegian, or Nor- <laughs> in Norwegian, Jesus, in Norway and uh, uh, Brazil and all over the States. But uh, uh, if you had to to just shell something out right now for the, the world to hear, uh, Chris, what do you think that would be? Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> Why you steal everything that I'm going to say? You steal it every time. It's because he knows you that well. I man. know. It's like, oh, come on, man. That's I was like, I was building this up. I was going to end it that way. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's go, Brandon, for sure. <laughs> would be that. Would be that. Uh, man, I don't know. It's just stay the course uh, is 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 the message, and that and I think that that looks different for everybody. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be law enforcement, but stay the course with, with your character and, and, uh, what you're trying to do in life and, and never be afraid to, to take a next step, even if it's, uh, scary, which is because so many cops will take that first step to become a cop and it's scary. You don't know what you're getting into and you take that step and then it's like you give up after that. And, and I think you can take, take some next steps. There's a lot of people right now who are holding back from leaving their department to go to another one, uh, because, the, the illusion of safety and security or not rocking the boat and all that stuff. And it's time to move. It's time to go to the department. That's going to, that's going to give you the training that you need. That's going to let you thrive. You know, it's time to move departments for some people. It's time to end the career. It's time to not be out. You know, don't, don't, don't lose your life to this job. You know, your mental health, your physical health, it's not worth it. You know, uh, people that you love in your life and, and what you're trying to accomplish is that's it's, it's much more valuable than the paycheck you're going to get from this, this job for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you hit the nail on the head that one thing I constantly tell people, if it was scares the shit out of you, you should probably do it at least once. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, you get so many people like, and you, you said it so perfectly that I have an alarm on my phone going off, um, that, uh, payroll review, make sure you authorize your pay for this week. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise you get a nasty gram from admin, but, uh, um, you get people, like you said, who, who come into law enforcement and then that's it. Like they don't even want to test for canine. They talk themselves out of it because, Oh shit. I kind of know that I can, well, I'd be any good at like, Oh, it kind of scares me. Or they don't even leave the patrol team because like, Oh, well the schedule and like that area might be a little bit more scary. Like go, go do it. It may make you that much better of a, of a cop, you know, for experience it. Or like you said, just to be able to, to get up and, and, and leave, you know, through, be it through something similar to the 10, seven project, or you're going to go, uh, you know, work in insurance or you're going to go be a fucking airline pilot, whatever the case may be, you know, if it comes down to it, um, you know, take a good long look at it. And if you decide that, that that move is the correct one for you, then fuck it off you go, I guess. And you know, the job, the pretty somewhat depressing, but one of the first pieces of advice I ever got, I don't even know that you call it advice, but was, uh, my first patrol sergeant told me that God forbid you died tomorrow. We will hold a funeral for you, but before we hold your funeral, your job will be posted online. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. What yeah. the hell did I just get myself? Like, dude, I just literally just left the academy and FTO. You can't give me like a week. I don't even have any shit. I don't even have my shit in my locker right now. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, man. That's a, that's a good, that's a good thing to tell people. You know, I don't know that it clicks with everybody because you got to be in the job for a while for that to make sense. But it's like, yeah, you, you are expendable, you know? So you better make the most out of what you got. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chris, where do people find you at on social media? If they want to find out about you or find out about the Ten Seven project. Oh shit, I change it all the time. It's anything, pretty much anything social media. You can find me at Chris Fisher Realtor because that's what I do now. So, tactical. Any, I thought it was Tactical Realtor oh, on, yeah, on, Instagram. on Instagram. It is it's Tactical <laughs> at Tactical Realtor now. And then, like, you know, if you want to buy a house in the Valley, you can call my phone. Brent has it. <laughs> so, yeah. I'll leave it with you. Yeah, know. get a hold of Kevin, who's going to get a hold of Brent, who's going to get a hold of Chris. <laughs> Eventually, I'll get you somebody's phone number. <laughs> yeah. I can't do, I'm married to a real estate agent, so I have to be super careful with who I give my allegiances to, because no offense, Chris, I don't sleep next to you. So <laughs> we can change that. Everything's yeah. negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Mike? Where is everybody going to find you at? Uh, if you look up Mike the Cop, that's pretty much it. It's a different, uh, you know, handle on different uh, platforms or whatever, but I mean... If it's not me, then whoever you stumble upon, Godspeed. I, I hope it's good content. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Just listen for the sound of this voice, and then, uh, and you got it. Yeah. When when uh, when Mike and uh, and Chris walked in, Mike was like, "You sound just like." your radio voice. And I was like, well, fuck, thank God for that. Cause you imagine if I like had this super tiny head and had like a high pitched squeaky little chihuahua voice <laughs> little, or something like little that. Beetlejuice action <laughs> little Beetlejuice yeah. action. But, uh, but, uh, uh, Mike sounds the same as he does in all his videos. And I've been sitting across from him for an hour and 45 minutes now. So that's funny. Uh, all right. Well, damn again, thank you both so very much for this opportunity. It's been wonderful having you guys on, yeah, uh, man. uh, Mike, certainly next time you're in Arizona, you always got, you always got a glass of bourbon here waiting for you, Chris. Likewise, oh, right, man, oh, right, you oh, don't right. have to come near as far. You don't have to sit on a Delta <laughs> flight surrounded by 123 of your best chubbiest friends. <laughs> so. yeah, he's got it worse than I do when he gets on a plane. If you can imagine his size sitting in one of those little tiny seats. So I still think that the first class is, is the way to go, man. If you, if you fuck it, if you can afford it, here's 100%. my little, like my, my little, word to the to the world type of thing is that if you can give yourself like save up for two years or however long you need to save up and if you've got a flight over like four or five hours give yourself a first class seat yeah it's worth it if it's over two hours worth it yeah i don't i don't spend money on like super fancy cars i don't drive like a mercedes or anything like that my house is like a normal house or it will be when it's finished <laughs> yeah um but your apartment yeah. is a really normal apartment right now. <laughs> my, my apartment is a little that's a great thing for a real estate agency. <laughs> yeah, I sell a lot of houses, but I live in an apartment. But anyway, um, yeah, I, the the first class flight, I will I will be bougie about that. I'll spend money on that. Yeah, give it give, give yourself the opportunity, mm. even if it's just one time, right? Like especially if you got a long ass like overseas flight. Save your fucking money and get yourself a first class. One of those sleeper pod seats. That's just <laughs> that, the way would, to go. I would love to do that one day is to like, I mean, if I fear that being unjabbed, I'm never going out of the country again ever. But um, I would love to do one of those like suites or something like that on a plane sometime. It'd be cool to just do it. Like, like, like Emirat, Emirati's Airlines or, or, or one of those like Middle Eastern Airlines yeah. has a suite. I think there's only one on the plane. 
and it's like thirty six thousand dollars. Yeah, I am not saying that you should say. Yeah, but you get like you have a shower, a yep. massage. Yep. You get a massage. A masseuse mm-hmm. can come in and and do that. A sauna, like uh, you know, big screen TV with yep. a couch, and, and you can dark out your whole bedroom. suite. And you close the door, and nobody <laughs> fucking talks to you or bothers you. Bumps into your seat with a coffee cart, you know, coming down the aisle like an aha fucking music video or some shit like that. So all the, all the cops listening like $36,000. Yeah, I'll save up for that. <laughs> That'll be my retirement no, that's, gift. That's why you join the 107 project and start selling some goddamn houses. Yeah, you, you sell 10 houses. You can fly on Emirates and uh, sit, sit your happy ass in a pod comfortably. There you go. See, look at that. Done. This episode brought to you by the 107 project. project.com. <laughs> Uh, shit. Thanks guys. I really do appreciate you coming on. Had a lot of good laughs today. Enjoyed a couple of drinks. Um, for those of you listening, uh, like follow and subscribe blue line millennial, the 10, seven project, uh, tactical realtor, or Chris real Chris Fisher realtor, whichever one it may be at its current point in time. And, uh, as of course, as always Mike, the cop, uh, with that, I got nothing else, uh, uh, for today's episode. Um, but, uh, do keep listening. I have a new microphone set up that I'm using right now. So if you like it versus what, uh, Mike and Chris have been using the mics that I've been using. Yours is going to be way time. better. I, I think it, it is way better. It is. Is it way better? Do you think so? Uh, yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. And Mike knows what he's doing. Cause he's got a podcast. I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he has a sponsored podcast. Oh shit. Yeah, maybe. I w- if I could get to that level, I have to fill out paperwork with my agency when I get to that level. But if I could get to that level, that'd be really awesome. But if I get you to the same... You don't need an agency then. <laughs> where we're going, we don't need agencies. Where we're going, we don't need any agencies. But uh, if I keep just entertaining those two people in Norway and that dude in Brazil, then hey, good on me, right? <laughs> All right. Well, this has been another episode of Blue Line Millennial. You guys stay safe. We'll see you on the road.